in case you missed last week, welcome to the series Messy Grace. We're calling it Messy Grace not because God's grace is messy, but remember, it just kind of looks messy when it intersects with our messy lives. And if this is your first Sunday with us in this series, I have to give this disclaimer. I have to be honest and I have to have integrity. Not all of what you will hear is my stuff. I am forever indebted to a pastor and teacher and author, Caleb Kaltenbach, who wrote a powerful book called Messy Grace. And that's why we got that title series. And, and there are copies in the, in the 7th Street for you. That's at this door over here if you're not familiar with that. Uh, for $11, if you haven't got $11, take it anyway. You can bring it next week. If you can't bring it next week, consider it our gift to you. Consider it grace. And there's a journal. For those of you who like to write, there's a journal that goes along with it. It's only $9. And so we want to make those available to you throughout this uh, series. Well, let's get this morning started right. Oh, wait, we got a video. Excuse me. I'm sorry. We live in culture that doesn't always honor God, and so that influences our views of Jesus. One of the most prevalent ways that we see this today in our culture is through the issue of same-sex relationships and other topics pertaining to the LGBT community. Then I think of 1 Corinthians 6, where Paul lists a set amount of sins, idolatry, homosexuality, slanderers, murderers, none of these people will inherit the kingdom of God. It, it equates this specific topic to sin as a, as a breaking of God's law. That's a hard truth. That's a difficult thing to say that who you want to love is wrong. That sounds absurd in this culture. And I think it sounds crazy when you don't consider who it is that's saying it. But if you don't see God as absolute joy and happiness and truth and peace, then you'll think that's foolish. We're all in a place where the culture is dramatically shifting and we have a tremendous fear of the unknown. You're called to love God and then love your neighbor as yourself. And so if we're fulfilling that calling, we should be doing a much better job. And it's when people are so terrified of the fear of the unknown and they begin to act upon what they don't know because it's also new to them, things get really hairy and hard and hurtful. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You find these teachers today who try and rationalize Christianity with a homosexual lifestyle and they end up doing violence to all of these texts of scripture. You've got to go against the grain of so much in the Bible to justify same-sex relationships. It's not just a, a few kind of piecemeal verses here and there that could go either way. And yet, I think there's another way that we can hold firm to our biblical convictions and yet still love people at the same time. That we don't have to allow culture to impact our view of Jesus, and if we stand firm within grace and truth, then that guards against misconceptions about Jesus. For those that didn't come to our small group, the guy with the British accent admits and confesses that he is attracted to, to men. 
But he knows that's outside God's intended design for his life. So he chooses a life of celibacy. These people are dealing with, with, with real life, and they're dealing it in ways that uh, uh, are, are really remarkable uh, and amazing. All right, if you can remember only one thing from today's message, this is it. We need to look for opportunities to tell people the truth that leads them to grace. Make sure you get that last line, that leads them to grace. We love to tell the truth, don't we? Especially if it hurts someone. But what if we were committed to telling the truth that, in turn, leads people to grace? You know, as I said last week, uh, through that book, uh, Caleb has helped me to see that there are four, four parts to this messy grace that we call it. And remember, it's grace that we talked about last week. This week, it's truth. Now, next week, we're going to talk about love. And then the final week will be on identity. Now, let me share something with you about me that maybe you don't even know. I don't even think I've told Debbie this story. She knows parts of it. I remember when I was five years old, my left hip started hurting. And it made it difficult to walk. And finally, I couldn't even walk. Well, my parents carried me to uh, the late Dr. Melson, orthopedic doctor here in front. Some of you older folks may remember him. His, his, his son is an orthopedic doctor also. And he diagnosed me with leg perthes disease. They didn't want to hear that, so they carried me to Children's Hospital in Birmingham, and they got the same diagnosis. Now, leg perthes disease is a, something happens in the bone marrow. And blood stops flowing. To, you know, your hip has a little ball joint. We should, probably should have Kevin up here explaining how all that works, a, a resident uh, doctor in uh, physical therapy. Uh, but anyway, the blood stops flowing. When blood stops flowing, what happens? Things begin to die. And my, the ball socket was literally, the ball itself was actually dying. So the only treatment was to put my left leg in a brace and then, my, of course, that way no weight was on it. Well, then I had to put on, I called it a Frankenstein boot. Had a heel on it, it felt like about this thick. Probably wasn't, maybe it's more like that. And, 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 and so that's the way I had to walk. But after a few months, several months of this, the blood started flowing back. Can you say miracle? Okay, good. Somebody understood my question. Can you say miracle? And so I got out of the brace, got out of the Frankenstein boot, and, and life is good again. Well, it wasn't long after that that it went to my right side. The blood stopped flowing to the ball socket, to the ball in my hip on the, on the right side. And so it was a brace on the right side and a Frankenstein boot on the left side. But then the blood started flowing again. Can you say miracle again? We got the word again. And so life is good, but then, and by the way, that only happens in 10% of the cases. So you see, I am very unique. I'm only one in 10. Okay. But then it went back to my left side again. So I've got a leg brace on the left side again, Frankenstein boot on the right foot. But then the blood started flowing again and it restored itself. Can you say miracle again? And, 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 well, there was an issue. My left foot was a half size smaller than my right foot. I had to wear corrective shoes 
One was a half size smaller than the other. That means I could not wear shoes like all my friends wore. Okay? They weren't pretty shoes. Right? I mean, they didn't look anything. You know. And finally, of course, it, it finally caught up. And, 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 you know, and all of this, I was beginning to feel that life is unfair. And I have this particular memory. I was six years old. I'd been invited to the birthday party of a friend. And, and we was inside. The, they had turned their uh, garage into a, to the birthday party space. And we had the decorations and the cake and all the other stuff. Well, when the other kids got up to go outside to play, I started to get up. But my mother picked me up and wouldn't let me down. I was mad. And I reached out to slap her. Now, to be perfectly honest, I can't remember. Maybe that's my way of forgetting something I shouldn't have done. I don't know if she stopped my hand or if I actually come across her cheek. See, I was mad because she was afraid for me. She judged me by those braces, afraid that I would break my hip. And as I got out of it, got out of them, and it even grew up, she, football was out of the question. It took years of pleading and begging to even play high school basketball. Because she judged me by the disease I had, leg perthiness. And it even took me decades before I, I understand, I love my mother, my mother loves me. I still love my mother. But it took me decades to recognize the wound that was in my heart and to move beyond it. Do you ever feel like maybe there are people in your own life that you love and love you, but they aren't treating you fair? And how do you feel about it when, when you watch others treating people unfairly? You know, there's a side of us that wants truth, right? I mean, we want justice. We want others to know the truth. And all we want to do is simply tell them the truth. And if you're a follower of Jesus, I know that you understand that truth and telling the truth is very important to God. Now, when Jesus came here in our human flesh, he made it a point to tell the truth. In fact, he went so far as to say, I am the truth. Truth is crucial to understanding who God is, but it is also crucial to understanding how we are called to live in today. Now, if you don't know, we're going to look at the book of Jonah. If you've got your Bibles, you can start getting ready or your tablet or smartphone or whatever. If you don't know anything, if you've never, ever read the book of Jonah, at least you've heard of him. Am I right? You know it's the story about, about this guy, that, 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 that this great big fish or some say whale swallows him up. Now, I know there's some people who say, you know, I really don't believe that because it's just scientifically not possible. And I get that. And there are, some, there are even some alleged Bible scholars. These, these are quotation marks. When I do this, this means quotation marks. Bible scholars who, who say, well, it's not a true story. It's just a parable. Well, we'll get to them in a moment. Because there is a huge message in the book of Jonah that we need to get. Now, if you're a Christian, you've read, probably read the book. And, and if you've got little kids, do they have Veggie Tale Jonah? Now, some of you sound like you've heard, seen that video again and again. Who is it, Larry? Which one is Jonah in the, in the video? Or do they have a different? Anyway. But I'm also willing to make a bet that you have not read it in the way that it's supposed to be read. Because if we read Jonah the way 
God wants us to read it, it ought to make us feel uncomfortable. If you have have read the book and not felt uncomfortable, then maybe you're not reading it the right way. If you've ever read it and not felt uncomfortable, but rather say, hey, Jonah, get your act together, man. You've missed the point. See, this book steps on my toes. Now, I'm the preacher. I'm supposed to have that privilege, right? It's my job to step on toes, right? Nod your heads like you're listening to me, whether you agree with me or listening to me or not. Okay. But when I read this book, God stomps on my toes. You see, the overall message of this book is surprising. For what God says about love through this book. And the message of this book is something that we all need to live up to. Now, Jonah, he was a prophet. And remember, a prophet means a teacher, somebody who, who takes the truth of God and delivers it to a group of people. Now, in those, now this happened somewhere around 793 to 753 B.C. Uh, those days, they didn't have the Bible. And so if they wanted to know something, God would send this teacher we call a prophet. And, and he would share that message. Now, it happens during the reign of King Jeroboam. Now, if you don't know who Jeroboam is, I'll tell you. He was the one who ruled over Israel after the death of Solomon. Now, this isn't Caleb's, how he described it. This is is me thinking out loud. Here's how I think it happened. Things are not so good because Jeroboam has indeed divided the kingdom. Instead of being one people of God, they're two. You've got ten tribes to the north, two tribes to the south. And and they're living separate lives. And, 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 And... They were being led. Where Jonah lives, they're being led by a king who is promoting rebellion against God and each other. Now, I believe Jonah's a good man. And I'm sure he was thinking, you know, I wish God could send somebody to straighten my nation out. You ever said that? Oh, God, could you just do something straighten the good old USA out? Well, that's kind of how Jonah was. And then one day out of the blue, God says, Jonah, I want you to be a prophet. And I'm sure Jonah probably said, man, yes, I need this. If they'll just listen to me, I'll straighten them out. But then God's call is not quite what Jonah had. Look at verse, we've got, it's been up here, verse 2. Here's the message. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked the people are. I'm sure Nineveh, I mean, that's the capital of their sworn enemies, Assyria. I mean, these are a mean and ruthless people, and nothing would make their day more so than to kill Jonah and all of his people like him, who were, who were Israelites, Hebrews, people of God. They'd been already numerous wars between them. And, and now it looks like God, well, why does God want me to go there? Just wipe them out, right? Good news for Israel, right? Probably what Jonah thought, right? That'd be one less problem to face. Now suppose God told you, I'm going to do something about the ISIS problem. I'm going to do something about the corrupt government problem. I'm going to do something about Henry down the street. You know that old grumpy guy that always throws his Jack's burger sack in the yard? He's nothing but trouble all the time. He's never happy. He's miserable. And he loves my. God says, I'm going to do something about them. Would you get excited? Would you say, yeah, go get them, God. 
If you need some help, I'll, I'll, I'll let you, but go get him, God. Jonah could have felt like that, but look at the next verse, right here, verse 3. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. There, now why is he running? He ought to be happy. God's going to get them Assyrians, them Ninevites, ISIS, Henry. Jonah instead runs. Now, here's where I've had my epiphany in this passage, in this whole book. I have always believed, preached, and taught that Jonah was running away from the call. Makes a good storyline, doesn't it? <laughs> you remember the rubber band from last week? You missed it. You have grace and you have truth, and there's no power in that but love by themselves. But the tension between grace and truth, there's where love lies. And, and, and so, so Jonah, and, and the Holy Spirit has, has turned my thinking right side up. He's not running from the call. Jonah is running from the truth. And he doesn't tell us why until chapter 4, verse 2. It has nothing to do with the call. Look, here's what Jonah said. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Now, he says that when he tells God that he's mad that these Ninevites are getting saved. He's mad that God would show grace and mercy to the Ninevites. Now, how, and Jonah hates them so much, he knows that even before he goes, that if he preaches the Word of God, God is going to do something great. Now, tell me this, how much do you have to hate people to want them to burn? Well, we need to look at truth, and Jonah teaches us something about truth. Number one, God's truth is for everyone. God doesn't support one group or one people over any other. See, God sticks up for everyone. He, Jonah wasn't really running from the Lord, and, and we get our first clue here that maybe it's not just the Ninevites that need to know the truth. But Jonah, let's look at verses 4 through 15. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all the time, Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold. So the captain went down after him. How can you sleep in a time like this? He shouted, get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. Then the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused this terrible storm. Now, when they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. Why has this awful storm come down on us, they demanded. Next verse. Who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from? What is your nationality? And Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. 
The sailors were terrified when they heard this, for he had already told them he was running away from the Lord. Oh, why did you do it, they groaned. And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, what should we do to you to stop this storm? Throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. Instead, the sailors rode even harder to get the ship to land, but the stormy sea was too violent for them. They couldn't make it. And then they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God. Oh, Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sin, and don't hold us responsible for his death. Oh, Lord, you have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. And then the sailors picked up Jonah and threw him into the raging sea, and the storm stopped at once. Now the sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power, and they offered him a sacrifice and paid and, and vowed a, to serve him. Now do you get the picture? Here's this Cat 5 hurricane out of nowhere. The boat is going to sink. Where is Jonah? Where is he? He is asleep in the hold of that ship. How does he sleep? I mean, uh, the, the little ship is going up and down, up and down, left and right, left, up and down. Left. Are you getting seasick yet? Then you add the sound of the wind and the waves. How in the world can Jonah sleep through that? Let me tell you how he could. Because Jonah is in a very dangerous place. Next slide. He's at peace with his rebellion. But did you notice verse 16? This is one of the light bulb moments I've had. See, those sailors gave their hearts to God. And they began a relationship with God. And this leads me to my second point. God wants us to embrace truth. God, not us, not any human being, God is the one alone who defines and determines what is truth. If you've been a parent and you've tried everything to get the message through to your kids and they aren't listening, have you ever tried to be creative parents to get their attention? Well, God gets a little creative. Look at verse 17. Now the Lord arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside that fish for three days and three nights. Fish or whale? You know, I like to correct people to say, it doesn't say whale, it says fish. Caleb Colton back says, no, it's a whale. And he and I could argue on this all back and forth, each having good arguments. But the rest of the few would say, big fish, big whale, doesn't matter. The gastric juices in the stomach of that big fish or whale would have dissolved Jonah and just turned him into goo. But uh, look at the first part of that verse. Now, the Lord had arranged. Now, don't you think God is smart enough? He'll figure it out that the gastric juices in that great big fish slash whale would have just absolutely turned him into whale juice. So God prepared for that moment to make sure that that wouldn't happen to him. And before the Peter folks get mad at God for being mistreating to animals that he created, don't you think God was able to make sure that this whale had all the nutrition it needed to be healthy and strong? Why? Because God had made arrangements. Here's what, here's what you need to see and take home on this point. God is always arranging for us to see the truth, but we have to be ready to see it. And the way we put ourselves in a position to see the truth is to admit from the word get-go that we are not the final authority on truth, 
but God is, and He is always eager to share it with us. And the big way God shares truth with us is through His Word, the Holy Bible. Now, I'll be honest with you. It takes a lot of time to figure the Bible out. And why? Because it's eternal stuff, eternal truth, trying to be interpreted through human stuff. See, we're trying to, we're trying to understand eternal truth through our, our, our own stuff, logic and reasoning. And you can't do it that way. We, we, bring, we try to fit Him into our logic and our truth. And we bring too little of our human stuff, our experiences, our feelings, our understandings, our frustrations. We don't bring enough of that to the realm of God. God is always arranging for us to see truth, but you've got to be ready for it. And that means you've got to quit trying to interpret eternal truth through our stuff. And the third thing is this. Truth leads us to the grace that we need. Now, you're big enough to read the book for yourself. Uh, but let me give, give you a synopsis. While he's in the stomach of that fish or whale, Jonah comes to his senses. Now, Jonah was willing to be thrown into the sea to die. See, he had a death wish. He would rather die than admit to the truth about God's grace and mercy. Now, but he comes to his senses, thrown into the sea, believing that he was justified and right with his opinions. Jonah changes his mind. We call that repentance, can't we? You know, confession is admitting that we've got issues. All of us do. That's, that's confession. Repentance means I'm going to change my mind. And so the, the whale spits him up, pukes him up, whatever your term you want, however you want to. Yeah, I don't think he just kind of, you know, kind of like a cruise ship comes up to, to, to the dock and, and just opens his mouth and lets a little thing extend out and Jonah can walk. I, you know, he projectile, you know, he just spits him out. Okay. And so Jonah goes to work doing what he said, that he'll proclaim God's truth to the Ninevites. And the result is the people of Nineveh hear the truth, they believe the truth, and they are changed by the truth. Did you get that? They hear it, believe it, and then are changed by it. The people of Nineveh exchanged their version of truth for God's truth. And it happened because of God's grace. Here's what we need to understand. This is what Jonah needed to understand, that grace is for everyone. You see, truth reminds us that all of us need grace. I mean, Thursday afternoon at the Church of the City in Franklin, I was, they had carpets laid out in the front for anybody who wanted to come. And I was prostrate. I mean, I was flat on the floor, tears just, just flowing. Because I needed God's grace. I needed the Holy Spirit more in, in my life. Jonah had thought that grace was for the Israelites only. Or people that converted and became an Israelite. But God says, no, my truth is for everyone. That includes anyone right here. And truth 
reminds us. Next slide. Convicts us and points us to the grace that we need. Truth belongs to God. And God has declared that only one act of sex has his blessing. Husband, man, and wife slash woman. Premarital sex doesn't have his blessing. Bisexual doesn't have his blessing. Masturbation doesn't have his blessing. Same gender sex does not have his blessing. Only the relationship within the bonds of husband, man, wife, woman has God's blessing. Nothing else received it. That's his intent. That's his original design. Now, I know Christians often say, well, you got to love the sinner but hate the sin. Okay, how about this? How about, how about you drop your butts? Instead of saying love the sinner but hate the sin, how about this? How about just love the people? Period. When we say love the sinner and hate the sin, what we're what what the LBGT community hears, and what other sinners who have a different sin than we have here is we hate you. Well, that's not true. Grace is for everyone, and that includes anyone. If we question that God's grace is enough to transform any person. What we are really questioning is this. Is God's grace big enough to transform me? And I'm talking about say it to yourself. Real maturity is found when you love people that are difficult and that you may not like and may not like you. And that's hard. That's difficult. But we can do it when we know that grace is, is just as much for us as it is for anyone else and everyone else. Jesus said, you know, if you just love those who love you, what good is it? That doesn't look anything like Jesus, does it? I mean, Jesus loved everyone on the cross. He loved the Sanhedrin that put together that mock trial. He loved those Roman soldiers that, that made that crown of thorns and then pushed it down into his flesh. He loved that Roman soldier who took that whip we call a scourge and literally ripped the flesh off of his back. He loved the soldier that drove the nails into his hands and feet. He loved that crowd that was mocking and laughing him. And he loved us on that cross, and he loves us now. I mean, if he can love us in that situation, don't you think he loves us enough now? Sure he does. And we need a truth that leads to grace when we realize that we need grace just as much as everybody else in our community does. You see, when we realize that we need grace, it gives us the capacity and the space to be able to love people right where they are. Now, what I'm about to say, I get from Caleb, but it's good. People are looking for a place to belong. And God calls us, next slide, God calls us to be a church where people can belong. I believe maybe it's the next slide or one before. Yeah, there it is. God calls us to be a church where people can belong even before they believe. Now, we can't pronounce salvation. Only God does that, right? 
Let's be a church that is filled with grace, a place and a people that allows others to be part of our community, even when they aren't in a, the same spiritual place we are. Allow them to be a part of our community. And if we would do that, I, I'm willing to bet that we could be a church that some people, that a lot of people, maybe everybody would be interested in coming to. If we would be a place where people can belong, find community, be loved on, be shown grace, and allow God's truth to change their life. Let, let God do the changing. I think people would come. Let's stop trying to fix people. Trust in God's truth that will lead them to grace and allow His grace to give them the life He desires. We need to look for opportunities. Tell people the truth that leads to grace. That's what we need to do. And as our praise team comes up, and I've run over, and I'm, but I'm not sorry. I'm amazed at the different ways and places and people that God uses to bring eternal truth into my life. Now, last Sunday afternoon, after we got through with our small group, I was talking with Misty, one of our, our nursery workers. And Misty, and Misty gave me just a great insight. And, you know, she, she said to this effect, you know, truth is kind of like trail mix. There's usually always something in there we don't like. We love the chocolate. And so what we, or even checks mix. You know, there's, there's, there's stuff in here that we like. Oh, there's some chocolate. Who doesn't love chocolate? And then we, all the other stuff we just kind of take out and we just pile it up. So we pick and choose what we like in the trail mix. Unfortunately, a lot of times people do that with the Bible. We pick and we choose and throw the rest of it out. But what if? What if we allowed God to speak truth into us where we need to hear it? Now, if you say, I don't need none of that stuff, you're a liar. Because the Bible says, he who says he has no sin is a liar. And we know that God said liars are one of those groups of people who have no place in the kingdom of God. Let's focus on the truth of our sin and allow God to lead us to the grace we so desperately need. And then others, be they gay, transgender, bisexual, asexual, whatever. Whatever their expression of sin that is different from your favorite sin. Let God work on them. Because God wants to work on you too and me. Let's pray.